I'm preaching this morning from Luke chapter 5 on one of my favorite uh, stories from the Gospels. And uh, I love the Gospels. I love to walk through the Gospels with my kids at home in our devotion time because uh, unlike any other, you can get this in the Old Testament as well, but when you're telling a story, um, it's amazing how kids and us adults hang with whoever is speaking. Amen? I mean, stories are amazing. I can sometimes be up here and I can be plowing through some doctrine on the Holy Spirit. And man, I'll switch gears to a story and I see a bunch of heads pop up and look at me. It's awesome. It's amazing. There's power in uh, story, in narrative. And so this morning, I'm going to be preaching from Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. And if I forgot to say this, I told Carrie, I said, you've got to remind me. I can't miss this. Kids, here's what I want you to do. And parents, listen for this too. I want you kids to take the pen in front of you. And any sheet of paper, um, just not your parents' Bible, preferably, okay? And I want you to draw the sermon as I preach it. So as I walk through this text and I'm explaining uh, these, these things we're going to be talking about, I want you to draw what you see. And then moms and dads, here's your assignment, okay? If you're not drawing, you're welcome to draw. That's fine if that's how you want to connect with the sermon. Um, go home today around the lunch table and say, let me see your picture. Show me your picture. And let's talk about what you drew. And tell me why you, you know, chose to draw the chicken when Josh was not talking about chickens at all. Um, and you can kind of reel some kids in there and have some good discussion with... Um, that was a joke, by the way. When, in case... Anyhow, um, you, can, uh, you can have some good conversation around the lunch table today about the sermon and uh, hopefully about what God is teaching uh, your kids and you as well. So with all of that out of the way, we're going to read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> read along with me. It says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night long, and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. I feel like there ought to be an exclamation there behind that. If it's not in your Bible, a lot of times it just has a period, and we read it like, yeah, the nets began to tear. Big deal. Have you ever caught a massive trout or a big bass, and you had them at the boat, and your line broke? Did you put a period on the end of that sentence when you were telling it later that day, and the fish was this much bigger than it really was? No. There was an exclamation point there. And so I think we need to read it like, like it says, the nets began to tear. <coughs> so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Let that sink in. They began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. 
Then they brought the boats to land and left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this passage and what you want us to gain out of this, God. I pray that anything I say that is not of you, I pray would be discarded and removed. And I pray you would drill down deep into our hearts through your spirit so that we can understand your word and how we are to apply it in our lives. Help me, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit to convey what I believe you put on my heart today for this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of my my sermon this morning is How to Be Effective in Kingdom Work. How to be effective in kingdom work. A a few weeks back, um, seven of us from the church went down to our state convention in Greensboro for the annual meeting. And every year the convention offers wonderful, they call them breakouts, they're like a workshop. Uh, You don't have to sign up, you just go to a particular classroom and they're teaching on different subjects to assist pastors and staff and lay people in various ministries of the church. So when you get down there, you find out what different breakouts, workshops they're going to have. Really, really fascinating uh, times of teaching and discussion and uh, help in our ministries. And one of the workshops that I attended was on the focus on how a church can be revitalized in its energy, excitement, and passion for living on mission for Jesus Christ. And in the presentation, one of the speakers was named Jeremy. I'll never forget uh, this presentation because it was totally different. Instead of one guy standing up there for 30 or 45 minutes like I'm doing and just giving one-way information, they all got up there and they shared their stories of church revitalization in different contexts, okay? Totally different contexts, different age pastors, different approaches to renewing their church And they did it very quickly, like five to seven minutes, five to seven minutes, five to seven minutes. And then we saved about 30 minutes at the end for discussion. And it was amazing. The questions that were asked and the interaction that was taking place was awesome. But one of the speakers talked about Luke chapter 5, what we're going to be in this morning, and John 21, both of which record uh, essentially not the same instance, but the same occurrence taking place in two different times. And both of them record Jesus, who is a carpenter by trade. Don't miss that. He was a carpenter by trade, telling his professional fishermen buddies, his disciples, he's telling some fishermen how to catch fish. Okay? So if somebody shows up at your work, or they show up in your kitchen at home, and they instruct you on how it is that you're supposed to be doing what you do uh, professionally, or you do in your home every day of your life, there's a sense in which you're going to kind of back up and say, Wait a minute, buddy. I do this every day. I understand exactly what I'm doing, whether we're right or wrong. That's kind of our approach many times. But Jesus tells them in both situations in Luke 5 and John 21, he tells them you need to cast your net in a different place than you previously were. And he says you need to get ready for a catch. And I wanted to make sure I didn't miss that in both situations. He says cast your net over here, not over there. And get ready for a catch. And so we learned some powerful lessons about being effective in his kingdom work. Now, some of you, if you're listening carefully and you're, you're thinking about the time of year that it is, you know, it's between Thanksgiving and, and Christmas season and all that, you're going to say, well, this sort of sounds like a, a January sermon. Like maybe you should, you know, hold on to that for a month and kind of help us think about our direction for the next 12 months in the new year. My answer to that question that some of you may be asking uh, is no. And here's why. In a few days, we're going to be charging full blast into one of the most 
supposed to be joyous and festive seasons of the year, right? Everybody loves Christmas time, opens people's hearts, rebuilds relationships. It's one of the best times to reach out to someone who is not in church or who does not have faith in Christ and invite them to come join you in times of worship as we celebrate Jesus' birth. So I can think of no better time to set this message before you about being effective in kingdom work than before we get into the month of of, of December and begin preparing for that. And so we're going to look at five important lessons this text gives us on being effective in doing God's kingdom work. One more caveat, let me say this. All of us want to be effective. Amen? All of us. No one wants to become irrelevant in any sphere of life. Everyone wants to improve. We all want to know that we are making a difference. And when it comes to your Christian walk and when it comes to being a church on mission for Christ, what we want to know is this. We are gaining some ground for the kingdom of God. Amen? That we are doing things that are mattering and they have lasting spiritual and eternal importance. But here's the sad reality. You know what happens a lot of times in December, especially in December? Boy, we get busy, don't we? Man, we get busy. We fill up our calendars with good projects and good get-togethers and hosting parties and special meals together and annual programs that we continue to attend. And we love those things. And they're good, right? They're good. But those things in themselves will not automatically make us effective in kingdom work. I want you to hear that. Just because we did it last year, or just because we've done it for 50 years, or just because we're trying it for the first time this year, just because we are busy doesn't mean that we are doing God's kingdom work. Busyness does not always equate to doing ministry, ministry of the kingdom. So we need to be clear about how we can be as effective as we can be for the building up of God's kingdom. So the gospel... In our, the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28 gives us our marching orders. What are we to be about as a church every single week? Making disciples. Making disciples. Say, what's a disciple? A student, a learner, an apprentice. Somebody who is following Christ as Savior and helping them to get equipped. So we reach out to the lost. We share the gospel with them. When they come and they join us for worship and Sunday school and places to serve, we're helping lost people become believers and then get equipped to serve Jesus and to serve His people and our community. And so that's what we want to be about. So let's look at five lessons on being effective in God's kingdom. Kingdom work from this passage. Number one, we need to meet people where they are with God's truth. We need to meet people where they are with God's truth. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Luke tells us that the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to get another happy meal. Right? Are y'all awake? Thanks. Pressing in on Jesus, not to get another happy meal, but because Jesus was teaching the word of God. He was imparting spiritual truths from the very mouth of God himself. And the people were so hungry for something real, deep, authentic, and spiritually lasting. Do you know why? Because all they had to go on before was the Pharisees. And you know what the Pharisees were serving up for the people in the synagogues? Empty religious calories, a bunch of spiritual junk food, and it looked really good on the outside, 
But inside it was full of nothing that was lasting and spiritually sustaining. They were malnourished. So when Jesus shows up and he's teaching down by the lake, don't miss that. When Jesus is teaching down by the lake, the people flocked to where Jesus was to hear the words of truth. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus wait for them to come to him? Did Jesus wait for them to show up where he was? Did he say, listen, next week at 10 o'clock, meet me down at the synagogue. I'm going to be there. No, he did not. He went to where the people were. Because you know why? The people were hungry for truth. And they were tired of what they were getting from the pulpits there, so to speak, in the synagogue. They knew it was empty. They knew it was false. They knew it had a religious veneer with nothing sustaining beneath it. Can I say something to you today? I believe that people today are still hungry for real, nourishing, spiritual sustenance. And you know what it is? What's easy for us as Christians to do? When we don't see people flocking in here in droves like they did 30, 50, 80, 100 years ago because we ring the bell. I love hearing that bell ring, but that doesn't mean the community is just going to fly in here and take our seats and bump us in out of the way and fill up the balcony. Just because that's not happening, we must not fall into the trap of complaining about the culture. Last night I turned on the TV A show I sometimes watch on Sunday night is called Down Home Gospel. I don't know if anybody watches it. 9 o'clock comes on, uh, has some good singers sometimes. There was a a, a guy singing, Troy Burns, I think it was. You may know that name. And they're singing this song about taking Christ out of Christmas. And there was this line that I I don't want to push this too far, but I just thought, you know what? If I'm a lost person, all that's going to do is push me further away. And he talked about having uh, a, a, a kook all up in my face. Basically, somebody who disagrees with me about the meaning of Christmas, about Christ. If we look at the culture around us as a bunch of kooks up in our face, are they going to want to listen to a message of love and reconciliation and peace and harmony between God and man? No. We cannot fall into the trap of finger-shaking at the culture and complaining and belly-aching and whining and calling them kooks. Because you know what? Let's be real. What does Paul say? We were just where they were before we came to Christ, right? So before we point a finger, oh, look at that kook out there who doesn't agree with Christ in Christmas. And they're saying holiday. And they're drinking Starbucks coffee out of certain cups. Before we get into complaining about the culture, let's remember we were enemies of God before Jesus came and rescued us and brought us back to be adopted into the family. We were that kook. Amen? And some of us still act kooky. Amen? Yes. I act kooky sometimes. You act kooky sometimes. Let's not fall into the trap of being finger-shaking, complaining Christians about the culture around us. We need to go to where people are. That's what Jesus did. He intentionally penetrated the culture of darkness around him with the light of the gospel. He went to where the people were. He saw the hurting people. He saw the harassed people. He saw the people that were without a shepherd. And what did he go do? Did he beat him over the head and say, you kook? No. He said, let me tell you how you can have this relationship fixed with your heavenly father. It's not through all the empty calories of the Pharisees. It's through feeding on my flesh and blood. John chapter 6. Last Sunday night, we talked about the gathered church and the scattered church and how we can never view this place, this location, 
as a place for us to meet together like a bunker. Where we all, we all get in here and we squeeze in shoulder to shoulder and we slam the door shut, you know, and we just kind of wait out the awful things that are happening around us. We can't run into this place with the intention in mind of hiding from the big, mean, scary culture around us. We cannot. This is the place where you come and you gather for Christ-exalting, soul-nourishing, spirit-filled Christian fellowship, teaching, encouragement, and then you know what? When it gets 12 o'clock or 12.15 or whatever time the Holy Spirit decides we need to be finished here today, we scatter. Because the church is not the church when it's gathered only. The church gathers and scatters for mission, for reaching lost people. Somebody one time called uh, Bob Dylan... Uh, called him the great theologian. I don't know if any of you agree with this or not, but he said something very true. He said, the times, they are a-changing, right? The times are a-changing, but people are still hungry for truth. Edward Hammett said this, the church that survives in the future will be the church that sees itself as a mission outpost from which the gathered church scatters for mission. You know what Jesus did? He gathered with believers there at the synagogue to teach, to worship, to grow. But he also scattered, armed with the truth of God's word, to satisfy hungry souls. Number two, Jesus has fish for us to catch. And he knows exactly where they are. The first few verses in this section, Jesus climbs down into Simon's boat. And he says, push out just a little bit. Jesus needed a little space. You know what I'm saying? He needed a little space because the crowds are pressing in on him. But also, this is kind of cool. When he, when he spread out just a little bit and he had the water right in front of him, his voice echoed out over the waters and over the crowds of people a little bit better. And so he says, push out just a little bit and then remember who's in the back of the boat for this sermon. Simon Peter. Simon Peter's hearing all this while he's probably preparing his nets to hang them up and put them away after a miserable night of fishing. Has anybody ever gone fishing and not caught a single thing? Every hand in this place ought to go up, right? We all have done that. Simon Peter did that. But see, here's the problem. You and I probably don't fish for a living. So when he comes back with nothing to show, guess what they take to the market the next morning? Nothing. Guess how much money they make? Nothing. Guess what they eat that day? Possibly nothing. This is a miserable night on the water, but he's sitting here listening to Jesus preach. Jesus finishes the sermon, and what does he say? He says, after you've pushed out a little, he says, push out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Two things stand out. Jesus told Simon to cast his net in a totally different and totally strange place than he ever had before. Second, Jesus guaranteed a catch. Jesus guaranteed a catch. So against all logical reason, against all past experience, Jesus told him to cast his net in a new place and he promised you will catch fish. When you make a guarantee like this, there's only two ways this thing's going, right? Jesus wins or Jesus loses. That's exactly what Jesus intended. That's exactly what Jesus intended. He's stacking the deck against himself. He just told a professional fisherman where to go fishing. After a miserable night on the water, the nets are probably clean and ready to hang up. And he says, cast your net in a new place and get ready for a catch. Don't miss this important lesson. Jesus had fish for them to catch. Jesus has fish, spiritually speaking, for you 
to catch. And guess what? He knows exactly where they are. John chapter 6. Everyone the Father gives to me, gives me, will come to me. The one who comes to me, I will never cast out. John 6. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of them he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Again, John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. What does that mean? God is working to prepare the fish out there for the catch. God is working in their hearts to prepare them to receive the gospel and answer, yes, I want to have Jesus as my personal Savior. What does that mean? The catch is guaranteed. The catch is out there waiting for us. The harvest fields are full. He's going to give all those whom He has given to the Son. So we don't know who they are. We don't know how many they are. That's not for us to know. The catch and the harvest is God's. He'll tell us where to cast the nets. It's our job to listen and obey. Number three, we need to respond in faith when God calls us to cast our net in a new fishing hole. Simon Peter worked all night, caught nothing. But when Jesus told him, cast your net in a new place, in a place that doesn't make any sense, because you're the fisherman and you're supposed to know, what did he say? Master, we've worked hard all night. What's he saying? I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I want to go lay down. His tail's tucked between his legs. He says this, But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. Do you think he had reasons why this was a bad idea? Do you think he figured we're just wasting our time, we're wasting our energy? I'm sure he did. But what did he say? If you say so. If you, a carpenter, tell me, a fisherman, I have enough confidence in who you are, enough confidence in your voice, and I'm going to listen to you so that when you tell me to cast my net in a purely illogical place, a place I've never caught fish before, I'm going to do it if you say so. There were several things that could have stopped Peter right here from experiencing this incredible miracle in his life. Several things. I want you to listen closely to these. Okay? Because I believe these three things many times stop churches, prevent churches from experiencing all that God has for them in store. Number one is the fear of the unknown. We don't know what will happen if we try something new. If we cast our net in a new place. If we decide to stop doing a ministry we've done so that we can start a different ministry that we may want to do or God may want us to do. What will happen? Will it work? What if we try something new and it comes up empty? Are we going to look like failures? Second, the fear of man. This one eats us up, doesn't it? Boy, all those people are on the shore, they're sure going to think that I'm a fool when they see me cast this net in the water. Peter might have had that thought. What are they going to say about me? Now I'm letting a carpenter tell me how to catch fish. When we're afraid of what people are going to say and what people are going to do and if people are going to push back on us when God calls us to do something and cast our net in a new place, when we're afraid of man, it means we're looking at man and we're not looking at God. Amen. We will miss what God may want to do in us, through us, and with us. And it may be unlike anything else that He's ever done in our midst before. Third, a scarcity mentality. A scarcity mentality. Jesus says, cast your net in a new place. Jeez, Jesus, I don't know. I, I, I'm behind on sleep. I don't know if I can stand to stay out a whole lot longer. I'm not going to have anything to sell at the market today, Jesus. Maybe I just better play it safe and not risk this one. Maybe next time, Jesus. All of these possibilities are first 
class enemies of faith. Let me say that again. All of these possibilities that kept, could have kept Peter from experiencing what God had in store, they could stop us from experiencing what God has in store. They are first class enemies of stepping out in faith. Did, 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 did Peter sink when he stepped out onto the water? Sure he did. But did anybody else get out of the boat? When anybody else got to the end of their life, could they say, boy, you remember that time when I... Nope, I didn't get out of the boat. I stayed put and I watched Peter. Peter had the exhilarating and faith-building experience of stepping out into the unknown and essentially saying, because you're here, I'll try this. Even though he stumbled and he fell. Churches do this all the time. Instead of stepping out in faith, when God calls us to cast our nets in a new place, we can come up with 10 reasons why it's not a good idea. Don't you think, don't you think that when they were hauling in these boats, hauling in these fish, sorry, and the nets are tearing, and, and there's chaos, and fish are slapping their way all over the deck and slapping the fishermen in the legs, you know, and jumping, probably jumping out of the boat back in the water, and the, the, the boats are sinking, and they're going down, and they're looking at the other boat as it sinks. Don't you think, where's Jesus in all this? The scripture doesn't tell us. But if I use my biblical imagination, you know what I picture Jesus doing? Hey, Father, watch this. Watch this. Somebody said that's the famous last words of a redneck. (laughs) Hey, watch this. But I totally picture Jesus grinning with this sly little grin. As these followers of his are are sinking in this boat with too many fish to pull in and boats coming to help them and the nets are beginning to tear. Let me ask you a question. Are you asking God this question? Jesus, where do you want me to cast my net this year? Where do you want me to cast my net this Christmas season? Church, let me pose this question to us collectively as a body. Are we prayerfully asking this question God, where do you want us to cast our nets? That question drove like a stake into the fears in my heart when that pastor Jeremy said that. He said, Jesus told him to cast it in a new location. What was the response? If you say so. Are we listening? And are we willing? When he says, put it over there. But we've never done it. We've always caught fish over here, Jesus. Cast it over there. But that didn't make any sense, Jesus. We know for a fact. Studies tell us that... No, cast your net over there. And then we got to step out and say, if you say so. Number four, the purpose of the catch is building God's kingdom, not our membership. The purpose of this catch was building God's kingdom, not building our membership. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me. Think of Isaiah. Because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish. As were Simon's partners. Their amazement was at the catch of fish. But you know what what Peter's amazement was at? He realized Jesus being in his boat was the one that made this entire ordeal go down. Don't miss that. He knew what was going on. He was in the presence of God. He calls him kurios in the Greek. It means master owner, possessor, sovereign, deity. And then what does he do? He confesses his sin. 
If he was blown away by the fish, surely he would have said, Jesus, can you show me how to tie that knot one more time? I missed that. No, he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. See, the purpose of the miracle was to reveal the Messiah. The purpose of the sign was to point the people to the Savior so they understood that God in flesh had come into their world to radically transform their direction and give them a new purpose in life. It wasn't to build Peter's professional portfolio. It wasn't to build his reputation that when he goes fishing, boy, that market's really full of the fish. The sign was meant to point to Christ. Let me ask us a question I want you to consider. If God chooses to bless us in the next 12 months, what 150 new members? If God blesses us in 12 months with 150 new members, will we rejoice that we increased numerically even if those 150 never grow one iota spiritually and they just fall off the map? Our membership inflates. And we have 150 new names. Will we rejoice that we are growing numerically, but we're not growing deep and spiritually? The point is not to build our membership, but God's kingdom membership. Can we do both? Yes. I'm not forcing a false dichotomy here. I'm not saying you have to grow in one and you can't grow in the other. You can do both. But the bottom line is this, and hear me, church, on this, please. The bottom line is not how many members or attenders we have in our services or in our role. It's not how much the offering was last week. It's God's money, and He puts it on your heart to give. It's how many disciples we're making. And I've said this before, but it is so easy to get fixated on the ABCs of church growth. Attendance, buildings, and cash. And we can lose our way and we can take our eyes off of Christ and building His kingdom. And we want to build our attendance and we want to build, build our, our buildings and we want to stock up our cash. And those things may happen along the way, but that's not what Jesus called us to do. The Son of Man has no place to lay His head, Jesus said. And so Jesus took this small group of ragtag disciples and turned the, the, the world upside down. Let me ask you a question. What, God, what, what might God do with a church our size that commits itself to expending all its effort, all its money, all of its programming and people to building God's kingdom in our community? What if we took our Wednesday night meals? There's some discussion about whether we're going to continue those in January. What if we took our Wednesday night meals and whether we do them weekly or we do, or we do them perhaps once a month, what if we'd say, you know what, we're going to use these Wednesday night meals as an opportunity to invite people in to join us or to perhaps take these meals out into the community. You say, well, that's difficult to prepare for logistically. I understand that. So was a lot of what Jesus did and saw and led them to do in the Gospels. Logistics cannot hold us back from stepping out in faith. What if God wants to use something we've done to do something new? Just a thought, just a suggestion there. Number five, God calls His church to a wholesale brand of obedience. In verse 11... 10 and 11, when they saw this, they were struck with fear. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I've got a new kind of catching for you to do. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. Up till now, you've been catching fish, and when you catch them, they die. From now on, you're going to be catching people, and when you catch them, they're going to live. Can you think about being involved in anything greater in your life 
than reaching out and catching lost souls that are headed toward an eternity of being separated from God in hell in a real place of punishment for rejecting Jesus Christ. And we're a part of that. We get called to be Christ's fishermen. He's rerouting their lives entirely. How do they respond? Verse 11, brought their boats ashore, left everything, 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 and followed him. What does everything mean, church? It means everything. So what about the boat? It's on the shore. What about their nets? I guess they're in the boat. What about the fish? They could have made them a million bucks in that day. I guess they left them right there for the crowds to descend on. Because something happened that was greater than that miracle. The presence of the Messiah, God in human flesh, was right there in their midst. And they knew they were being called to something greater. And so you know what they decided? We'll leave everything behind because we believe Jesus is worth the risk. He's worth it all. D.L. Moody was just getting started in ministry. And he heard a preacher say this. The world is yet to see what God can do with a man fully surrendered to him. You know what Moody said? By God's grace, I'll be that man. By God's grace, we can be that church. And we will be that church if God is leading the way and leading the charge. And we say to him, if you say so, Lord. We'll do it. There's a little boy at a children's hospital that he got a bad reputation, and he earned it. He earned it for wreaking havoc with the nurses and the staff. And one day, a visitor showed up on his wing of the building, and he'd heard about the little boy's reputation. And so he, he came ready with a plan. He said to the little boy, listen, if you can give me one week of good behavior, I'll give you a dime when I come back. And so a week passes by, and the I guess the little boy just continued to do his thing like he'd been doing. And the visitor shows back up. And at the end of the week, the visitor says to the little boy, uh, Hey, let me ask the nurses and let me ask the doctors if you deserve the dime. And he said, No, no, wait a minute. Let me ask you. Do you deserve that dime? And out from under the sheet, there was a little pause. And then a little voice squeaked out from out the end of the sheets. The little voice said, How about giving me a penny? That little boy was trying to bargain for that penny. He knew he didn't deserve or earn that dime. The disciples never tried to strike up a bargain with Jesus. They went all the way in. So listen, I don't know where God may call you as an individual to cast your net in 2018. I don't know where God may call us as a church to cast our nets, but I do know what our response needs to be. Similar to Samuel and similar to Peter. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And okay, Lord, if you say so, we will do it. We get to be a part of a great kingdom work. We want to be effective in that kingdom work. God promises that if we will follow him, he's going to accomplish his purpose and his work in his way. The question is, will we get on board with what he wants to do? Will you get on board with what he wants to do in your life personally in and through you? We ought to be like Zig Ziglar when God calls us to some work. Ziglar said he was so optimistic he would go after Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with him. My prayer is that we would tune our hearts to God's voice and we would listen when he calls to us, cast your net in a new place. Get ready. They're coming. Get ready. We would call out to God with this question, Lord, where do you want us to fish? Where do you want us to cast our nets? 